If you're, uh, if you're just joining us or haven't been with us in a while, um, you don't know this, but we're in the middle of uh, Paul's gospel. It's a series on uh, the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is, uh, well, what we've said is that it's, it's a book about a paradigm shift. It's like um, all the, the stuff that people thought they knew um, about, how to, about what God was going to do and, and all the stuff they expected, it got turned upside down when uh, Jesus was revealed to be the Messiah of Israel. Jesus, who, you know, is a carpenter and is an itinerant prophet. Jesus, who gets tortured to death for blasphemy and sedition. Jesus, who is raised from the dead. This was not what anybody saw coming. And and so, in light of the fact that that's who God reveals to be the Messiah, everything's got to shift and change. And there's got to be a whole new way of thinking about who God is and what God does. It's still in keeping with what uh, was in the past and what we think of as the Old Testament, but it's also fresh and, and freshly revealed. And what we've been doing, we've been, uh, more or less chronologically, kind of f- tracing some of the big themes that Paul uh, has been sharing. Last week uh, and, and the week before, we were talking about the issue of sin and how uh, Jesus' death deals with sin. We talked about the fact that in Paul's world, sin's not just like choices that we make that are naughty. Sin's actually capital S sin. It's a power that has controlled humanity. It's, it's damaged us and made us unable to live the way God wants us to live. And, and only by, uh, by the sin's power, its region of power is the human body. And so Jesus dies to break the shackles of sin. And last week, we, we, we left on this note where now that the, the power of sin, this demonic power, now it no longer has control over us, what do we do now? So, so what now? How do we live? And, and the, the last image we had last week was, it's sort of like sin was um, a plantation owner, uh, an owner of slaves, right? And, and, and after the Civil War, slave owners no longer had power. That was shattered um, by, by the, the, the victory of the Union armies. And so now slaves were free, and they could go and do what they wanted. But some were scared by this. Some preferred the old way of living to something that was unknown, scary, frightening. And good reason, in the antebellum South, there was no preparation for the end of slavery, and so it was extremely dangerous and extremely terrifying. But that's not what Paul thinks about God. When God frees us from the shackles of sin, God has an awesome plan, an awesome idea of how life is going to be. And here, we're going to start in Romans 8. This is uh, the best chapter in the whole Bible, Romans 8. It's uh, top. It's at the very top. Uh, it's my favorite. We actually talked a little bit about Romans 8 um, at, on Easter. We're going to talk a little bit about it today. But, I mean, I, we, could, we could sit in Romans 8 for like the next 10 years and I'd be a happy camper. Okay, so we're going to keep, we're going to keep coming back to Romans 8 because I really do think it's the, sort of the fulcrum. It's like the, 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 the nexus of all of Paul's excitement that's going on in Romans. But we're just going to hit one thing today. We're going to hit what do we do now? How do we live in light of the fact that sin, evil power, no longer has control over us? Um, I've elected to use the New Revised Standard Version today for our reading. You can follow the the New King James, the Pew Bible, um, if you'd like, but uh, you'll see a few little changes. And I've I've even edited the the New Revised Standard because there's there's problems there too. So um, this is uh, Romans Romans 8, 1 to 14. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but if you set it on the, the mind on the Spirit, it's life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. We'll talk about why that is. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not. You're not in the flesh anymore. You're in the Spirit. And since the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal dying bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit we put to, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It's a lot going on there. And especially if you're not super familiar with Paul's language, there's, you hear you know, flesh, 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 spirit, spirit, spirit. It's a little bit, it's a little bit overwhelming, honestly. And you might wonder, like, what, what the heck are we talking about? What's going on? Well, let me give you a little background. A little background. Um, can we uh, highlight one thing in the... See, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. First, flesh. When Paul says flesh, that's the Greek sarks. It's, uh, it's, it, Paul uses it almost the same way in all of his letters. And really, he's not just... He is talking about the physical stuff that we're made out of. But really what he's talking about um, is, is the fact that somehow, for some reason, this stuff that we're made up is super selfish. Okay? He's noticed that there's something about human, human beings and there's something about the body. And we would probably, in our day, say something about the brain that makes us really kind of interested in ourselves more than anything else. Now, what Paul's noticed is that he, he notices that, that, yeah, okay, sin, the power of sin's been broken, but still there's something selfish about me. There's something about this body that's still selfish. And, and what he's noticed is that, uh, well, what, what people expected was, okay, if you break the power of sin and sin no longer rules over you, well, then now we can do exactly what God wants, right? Because the sin's not beating us up anymore. And what does God want? Well, he gave us the law, right? God wants us to live according to the law, right? That would be like the Ten Commandments, for example. Uh, that, those are, seem like some good things to live by. Like, don't, you know, kill people if you can avoid it. Don't, you know, don't. Don't steal stuff. Like, well, that seems reasonable. But there's more, of course. There's more in the law. And, 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 and it is God's perfect law. It's a reflection of his nature and character. It is that. But what Paul's noticed is that even though sin has been broken, he still has a hard time following the law. It's really difficult. Here is a picture of something that no one has ever seen in the real world. This is, ne- this is never ha- It's not true. It happened uh, once. Uh, this is, you have to wonder about advertising, because, uh, wow. Like, how many, you're like, okay, brush your teeth, and he's like, oh, this is awesome. I love this so much. Check this out. My unicorn child, Olivia, she, when she first discovered brushing her teeth, she thought it was rad. She loved it. And I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. I think, my guess is, she's kind of a germaphobe, and uh, I think she thinks that if she, brush, she brushes her teeth a lot, that she won't get sick. Like, it's sort of like washing um, but for whatever reason, when she first discovered uh, brushing her teeth, it was like she would brush her teeth like three, four times a day. 
<laughs> he'd like, like walk in and be like, what are you doing? And he's like, just, just getting it out. I'm like, oh, you might have obsessive compulsive disorder. Daddy knows about that. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Then, so, so then um, school started, right? And, uh, and there was, we were like, okay, girls, before you go to school, you have to brush your teeth. Now, up until we had that rule, Olivia was just, as soon as that rule happened, it was like, no, absolutely not. Brushing teeth is disgusting. Like, wait a minute, dude, yesterday you did it like six times. Now, you know, it's Monday and you're not going to do it because you don't. There, there's something about when you put like rules in place, there's something about human beings where we just, we just don't like that. It just bothers us. I saw this with Olivia. She's like, she's like, no, I refuse. I'm not going to do what you say. I, I, I'm going to fight and fight and fight and fight. And you're like, honey, don't you want to be healthy? She's like, I want to be healthy on my terms. You know? Oh, okay. And so it was this battle, like, all, all, all year, like, to, to get her to a place where, where she would end up just doing the stuff that she used to do without any fight at all. This is something that's, that's in it's human beings. There's something weird about it, something about this flesh. It's selfish. It's not just selfish. It's also like we don't like to have people tell us what to do. We want to do things our way, on our terms. And Paul noticed this. He's like, yeah, the law is really good. I mean, yes, God did give us the Ten Commandments. He did give us all this information about who he is and what he wants in the Old Testament. But what's crazy is as soon as you start to try and live that way, you realize, I don't like this. I don't want these rules. I don't like, I don't know. I'm bucking against them. You can't, your, your own selfishness, our own desire to do things our way gets in the way and prevents us from doing the very thing that we want to do, which is do what God wants. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Laws and rules fail to help us escape sin's power. In fact, they make things worse. Let me just say this again because uh, it's, it's worth meditating or noting this. Laws and rules fail to help us escape sin's power. In fact, they make things worse. This is, uh, this is really counter to the way that we like to think, especially in the West, but really all human beings, right? You know, so you're like, okay, I'm going to go to church. Why? Because the leader guy is going to give me some rules for living. Some ways to make sure that I have the life that God wants me to run. That's what we do, right? Leader guy is going to come up. He's going to give a three-step plan for me to get my finances in order so that uh, I can give more to him in the church. That's, that's what you expect, right? Da, 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 da. But what Paul seems to be saying is he's like, but wait, there, there's something weird about us. That doesn't seem to work. And I mean, maybe we're able to follow these rules to some extent, but our heart is still like, ugh. And, and a lot of times, these rules and laws make us kind of want to buck against them. And so the, even though we know in the law, who, in rules and stuff, who, who God is and what God's like, those don't seem to be able to do what we really want, which is live the way God wants us to live. So what did God do? And this is Paul's fundamental, like, theological insight um, in this part of the chapter 8 of Romans. I just want us to just, just browse through and see if you notice this about Romans, okay? And I'm going to be honest here. I'm departing from probably consensus New Testament scholarship right here because I'm going to highlight something that most New Testament scholars never look at. And I want you to see it because I think it's really important. So let's go back through the text just really quick. I've just highlighted one word. The law of the spirit of life. The spirit of life. Uh, spirit, 
Paul, um, he's probably translating uh, the word ruach in Hebrew. He, he, the people were familiar with ruach. That's like the wind or spirit of God. Um, and now he's calling that spirit the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And then he says this over, and you hear this refrain over and over. We don't walk according to the selfishness and pride. We walk according to the spirit. Keep going. Look at this. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. Keep going. You are not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Keep going. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. All who are led by the Spirit of God our children of God. Here's a cool fact. In, the chapter, in chapter 8 of Romans, Paul uses the word spirit, pneuma, 14 times. Romans has uh, 16 chapters. In the other 15, all together, he says spirit eight times. There's something crazy that's gone on. And Paul's just starting to, to, to get his mind around it. See, people thought that Jesus was, or the Messiah was going to come and he was going to rule and he was going to enforce the law of God. But that didn't happen. The Messiah came, yes, was died and raised, but then the Messiah left. Jesus left. I mean, imagine you're there. Like, Jesus is raised. He's got, like, superhuman powers. He can walk through walls. You're like, this is getting good, guys. This is going to be right. We've been with him the whole time. He's going to set things up for us. We're, we're, we're in good deal here. This is great. And Jesus is like, oh, peace out. I'm going to be with the Father. I'm like, but wait. I got a plan. I'm going to send you my spirit. The ruach, the wind of God. In the Old Testament, and, and, and Jewish people, they had a notion of the Spirit. Like, the Spirit was like this, this sort of creative, vivacious, moving, exciting, wild, unpredictable part of God's power and nature. And the Spirit would, like, flit about, right? And, you know, occasionally the Spirit would land in the middle of people, and incredible things would happen. Like, in, in the Old Testament, you hear, uh, the Spirit of God was with him, or the Spirit was with him, something like that. And suddenly, like, people who are, they're, they're empowered, and amazing things follow, and it's wild, and it's life-giving. But now, something new's happened. Instead of the Spirit just dancing along, and, just, and then just going somewhere else, now the Spirit stays with us. You mind if I uh, ruin some movies for you? That's what I do. It's one of my things. Here's the deal. So last, I think it was last week, it was like all contemporary movies. And some of the, and some of the, some of our coasters, our seasoned, our veterans, uh, were like, yeah, do you have anything else? You know, what about us? I get you. I'm with you. Uh, do I have the, do I have the pictures? Okay. Oh, Audrey Hepburn? Right? Breakfast at Tiffany's? Is that, are we hitting now the people who are over the age of 35? Did I accomplish it? Uh, so in 2005, there was a, a movie critic uh, who invented uh, this, this word, or this phrase. It's called, um, what is it? Uh, magic, or manic uh, pixie uh, spirit girl or something like that? Man, manic pixie something girl? Uh, it, it, was, it was a way to describe uh, certain character types, okay? Typically in movies involving romance. 
So I, I've never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. I heard the song. I like the song about it. Um, but I read, I did read the Wikipedia article about Breakfast at Tiffany's. So I feel really confident in describing <laughs> what, what Breakfast at Tiffany's is about. I don't know. There, it was sort of confusing. But basically, uh, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, this, Audrey Hepburn plays Holly Golightly. Like, go lightly. That's her, it's apparently a fake name, but, but that's what she calls herself, Holly Go Lightly. She's this carefree, like, socialite in Manhattan. And she, like, she's just in love with life. She just, everything she does, every time she sees flowers, they're the greatest flowers in the world. And she's, her, she just, just runs through the, and she's happy, right? And uh, she meets, uh, like, a, a depressed, cynical journalist named Paul. And this guy is just broken. You know, he, he's a kept man. He hasn't found love, hasn't found success. The world's a dark place. And, and when she jumps into his life, suddenly he's like, wow, there's hope. There's beauty. If I could just be with someone like her, I could experience this wonder manic pixie dream girl. Okay? She's, she, she's, the thing is, her character doesn't really matter. All she's there to do is to change him. Right? She doesn't have any interior life of her own or desires or whatever. Maybe that's not true since I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. But that's the theory. That's the theory. These other two I have seen. Uh, a young Leonardo in 1997, Titanic. Um, do you remember? The, what was the, the best scene the first time you saw that movie? <laughs> he said, if you didn't hear, he said the ending. That's the part. Spoiler alert, the, bo- the, the boat sinks. <laughs> uh, yeah, um... Well, okay, so the, the one that got all the play was when he's like, I'm the king of the world, <laughs> right? He's like, oh, and, and, and then there's Kate, Kate Winslet. She's from the upper class. She's stodgy. She's restrained. She's constrained. Her world is dark, right? And then she meets this plucky, dancing, blue-collar, you know, Leonardo. And, and, and pretty soon, before she knows it, she's leaning over the side of the ship going, <laughs> and seeing how far she can shoot a loogie. And we're like, wow, she's really living now. It's true. He's a manic pixie dream boy, okay? Leonardo's, the whole point of his character is to give Kate, or whatever her name, Rose, Rose, a new life, right? Like she changes because he's like so awesome and he loves her so much. Uh, More recently, there's Pitch Perfect, um, you can't watch Pitch Perfect 3 because Jesse's no longer in it. That's Skylar Aston. Uh, so if you do watch the Pitch Perfect series, only 1 and 2 are acceptable. Uh, my children seem to think that 3 is great because their mother is insane. I do not recommend it. Uh, in the first two, this guy, Skylar Aston, all he does is go around and make this girl, Becca, she's brooding. She hates being at college. She's like, I wish I could work a 9 to 5 and break my back every day. Instead, I have to be at this, this amazing institution where all I can do, all I do is sit around and, and play music all the time. This is terrible. And he's like, but wait, maybe it's amazing. You should sing. And then she learns to sing, and it's amazing. And he just brings her along. He's a manic pixie dream boy. Here's the deal. Uh, this, this manic pixie dream boy or girl thing was meant to, like, you know, criticize movies. I think that's terrible. I like these movies. I mean, I can imagine liking Breakfast at Tiffany's, but I definitely like the other two. 
Uh, and I think it's okay to have characters like this because they're, they're, they're coming after something in the human condition that we really, really need. And it's this sense that there's got to be something out there that can shake us up and get us out of these ruts we're in. Like, we're, we're, we're going through life, and it's like life is passing us by, and we're missing the whole thing. And then somebody shows up on the scene and is like, bah, bah, and you're like, wow, I've never seen the world like this. This is awesome. I want, th- I want that. Well, in the Old Testament, that's the Ruach, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes in and shakes things up. And suddenly, the way things were going, it's like, whoa, 180, turn the other direction. And what you thought was, was the case isn't the case. And somebody who's really weak can suddenly become strong. And somebody who's really strong and oppressive can be overthrown. And there's new possibilities, new hope. That's the Spirit of God. The Spirit jumps in and dances. And, and life and, and hearts open up. And now Paul says, guess what? Now the Spirit lives in you. And the Spirit's not going away. The Spirit's not going to just dance and move off ever again. It, once you believe, the Spirit lives inside you, dwells within you, is the, the language of the text. And it's the next thing in your note sheets. God gives us his Ruach, Spirit, to lead us into fresh, free, grace-filled, adventurous living. We thought, Paul thought, we were going to come down and then Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule. And once Jesus rules, we can start living the way we ought to live. We're going to follow all the rules. We're going to check off all the boxes. And life is going to be simple and easy and good. And that's not what happened at all. Instead, instead, Jesus ascends to the Father. He sends his spirit who swirls around and starts stirring up incredible things among the people of God. People, things they never expected. Sometimes things that are uncomfortable and outside of what they used to think was right and wrong. Some things that are really, really taboo sometimes. Things that are different. And yet also freeing. Filled with possibility. Let's look back at the text. This, uh, I think, is probably the most crucial uh, way of understanding the kind of life that Paul is describing here. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I've capitalized the L in life there because almost always in Romans when Paul uses the word life, he's talking about eternal life or the life of God, the resurrected life of Christ. It's a different kind of life than you and I regularly experience day to day. It is the life that the Godhead shares. It's filled with joy. It's filled with love, self-giving communion, and of course, peace. When, when, when Paul says peace, he's not talking about not fighting. He's talking about shalom, the Jewish notion that, that peace is when we're living fully and freely and robustly, that, that we're thriving, even in really d- difficult situations, that we have joy, that we have a connection, deep, intimate connection with people and with God. That's the life of peace. And Paul says, if you set your mind on the Spirit, your life is life and peace. He's, um, the, the word there in Greek for set the mind is a phronema. And it, it does mean like, like set or focus. Uh, but it, it's also uh, connected etymologically to the term phronesis or phronesis. Uh, and phronesis and phronema, they're close. They're, they're etymological, etymological cousins. Phronesis is the, uh, the ability to just kind of like have good sense or practical reason. 
Like you, you, you kind of have a good sense for things, right? So you're the person who can discern or know what's best or right in a given situation. And Phronema carries a lot of this uh, into, in, in, into the... And so I, if I were to gloss this, instead of saying set the, set the mind or set their minds, I would say something like sort of um, be really familiar with the Spirit and focused on what the Spirit's doing. Okay? Be really familiar with what the Spirit is like and what the Spirit is up to. Be attuned to the Spirit. Do you see the difference there? It's not just focusing on the Spirit. It's also having a solid recognition or you're just, you're, you're in tune, you're, you're, you recognize and, and you're, you're familiar with the Spirit. And so when the Spirit's up to stuff, you're like, oh yeah, I, can, I know, that's what that is. And the notion is, is that um, if you are familiar with the Spirit and you are looking and setting your mind on what the Spirit is doing, then you will be living life, capital L, life. You will have shalom, peace. I'm going to make a confession here. That's uh, something that's just, it's, it's a sin that's um, been dogging me. Um, so this last week, I've uh, been going up to Pasadena every morning. I leave pretty early in the morning. And it's, it's a fairly long drive. Um, and what I've found myself doing is while I'm driving, I'm uh, looking at my phone and reading the news. <laughs> so, um, I think I have a picture of this. Yeah. Um, and it's dark outside, and also my, uh, I haven't changed my windshield wipers. And so uh, I can't really see when I look out the windshield. Because the wind, the, actually this week on Wednesday, the, um, the rubber part that's supposed to wipe, the, it fell off. And so when I wake up in the morning, um, there's just a lot of moisture on my window. And so instead of trying to see where I'm going, I just, I just read my phone and just hope <laughs> that everything works out. Um, if anyone here is in law enforcement, this is just a hypothetical. This didn't really happen. Uh, just you can imagine what it would be like if it did. Um, did you know that, so in uh, 2007, they did a, um, a study, on, they did a neuroscientific study where they were checking to see how long the attention span of the average American was, right? And in 2007, it was 34 seconds. So basically, in 2007, the average American would be like, you'd be like you know, just doing stuff and not, not, not like trying to focus or anything, just, just, just l- looking at the brain while the person's just kind of and about 34 seconds is how long a person would stay focused on one thing before moving to the next. They replicated this in 2018, and it had dropped from 34 seconds to 8 seconds. <laughs> Not only that, but uh, for people who are the ages of 18 to 24, 82% when asked responded, the first thing I do when I'm bored is look at my phone. Uh, 82% of 18 to 24-year-olds, only 10% of those over the age of 65, indicating that uh, cell phones and um, social media culture uh, has dramatically changed the way we interact with the world, and it's dramatically changed our brains. And so I was really surprised, because I, I know this, because while I'm driving and I'm looking at the phone, well, this is an advantage. Not only have our, uh, our attention spans dropped, but we've also become really good at multitasking. <laughs> Right? We're always doing like 12 different things at once. And so uh, contemporary Americans are much better at, at focusing on a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but they only focus on it for like just short periods of time. And I experienced this because I was reading uh, the news, and then I just kind of look up and be like, okay, good. 
you know, oh, no, whoa, 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 brake lights, brake lights. <laughs> All right, back to, back to what's important. Um, and I'm able to do this uh, so far, so far so good. I, I, I found, though, that uh, this week, for the first time in a long time, I was able to just focus on one thing for a really long period of time. And that, of course, uh, was the NBA free agency uh, news that was breaking. I was literally reading 5,000 think, word think pieces about the, the impact of Kawhi and Paul George coming to the Clippers. Clippers fans, you guys stoked, right? Nobody? I mean, come on. Uh, and then, yeah, like, I mean, if you don't follow basketball, all I can say is this has been the most insane offseason that's ever happened. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. It's exciting. And, it's, and, and the reason I'm able to focus on it, even though there's all these other things going on, is that, is that the, this season, this offseason, has had so much movement and so much possibility that I'm constantly being surprised, which captures my attention. And then I start thinking about possibilities and the future. I start thinking about, well, wow, we're, we're going to see games like we haven't seen in the East in a long time. And, and boy, here for us in, in L.A., like how great to, to be in Southern California at this moment when we really have a shot at a championship now. I mean, all this stuff. And so I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking about possibility. I'm, I'm caught up in the story, the adventure that is the NBA offseason. And Paul is likewise saying, you know, you, you were living your life like this. Like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Here are the rules, here's your checklist, you check everything off. That's how you were living. What if I told you that God is going on an adventure? That the Spirit is, is taking over, that there's places where the Spirit's going that we've never been to before. We've never seen fresh, exciting ways the Spirit is acting. What if I told you that instead of, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, I I told you instead, pay attention to where the Spirit's going and, and join in. Follow. Get on board with what the Spirit's up to. Instead of, and then maybe, maybe you'd be surprised at the changes in the way that you live. If you really recognize and notice where the Spirit's going someplace and you're with the Spirit and you're following the Spirit, then you might think, stop doing things that you were doing. Start doing things that you weren't. And, and you may not have any idea. The rut that you're in, this, this, the status quo, this regular life, this, this, this prosaic, pedestrian, boring way of existing might expand. Like thing your note sheets. Paul thinks that real life means chasing the Spirit to be a part of what God is doing in the world. I use that word chasing intentionally. The Spirit does indwell us. And yet, the way Paul envisions the Spirit is that the Spirit leads us. Did you notice that language in the text? The children of God are led by the Spirit. The Spirit's doing stuff, going places. We're following along. And there's, an, there's a, a sense to which when we're living the way that God wants us to do, we're going after the Spirit, and we're never quite catching. The Spirit is always with us, and yet always leading us forward. There's, there's, no, there's no room for stasis. There's only room for dynamism, for movement. Okay, this is, this is going to take some... We're going to separate the true nerds from the fakers. Right now. Brace yourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. 1985, what a good year. The Apple IIc, 
Uh, my father brought one into the home, and it changed my life. Uh, never was I the same. This is, apparently they have like a cartoon now, where, is the, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? That's garbage, okay? Legit where in the world Carmen, is Carmen Sandiego, or where in the U.S., or where in the wherever is Carmen Sandiego? That's like 1985 to 1989. I think it's Broader Bun Software, which I believe is now out of business. That's legit Carmen Sandiego. This is how I learned to read, by the way. I would uh, play this game. It was edutainment. The first, they're like, instead of just playing games for fun, we're going to teach these kids a thing or two. And this I learned about the world by trying to track down Carmen Sandiego. If you don't know the game, uh, Carmen Sandiego is like an international thief or spy or something. And you work for Interpol, and your job is to track her. And, uh, and she drops clues, Right? And everywhere you go, you're like chasing her down. And, and you, you show up in Morocco, and, and there's like a golden bracelet is left. And you can see that she's been there because, you know, there's a window that's broken and something is missing. But you just, you didn't get there in time. You got that golden bracelet, and you look at it. It has an inscription. And the inscription tells you uh, something about Big Ben. And you wonder, where's Big Ben? I know, London. Off to London. And you keep jumping from place to place and, and capturing clues. And, and, and the goal, the, the purpose, is eventually you catch up to Carmen Sandiego. And the way Paul imagines life is like this. You're, you're, you're going and you're looking for the little traces of the Spirit. You're looking out for where the Spirit's been, where the Spirit's active, what's happening. And, and, and you capture one and, and you say, yes, but it's not quite there. And, and, and points you in another direction. Always moving forward, always on the, on the move, always uh, trying to trace down the, the kingdom of God, where the kingdom of God is happening. The fruit of the Spirit. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit song? Well, do the right one. Do the one I'm thinking about. Stop it. Shut your mouth. I'm joking, man. The only one I know is uh, my kids like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, in fact, I can't even say them slowly because if I don't have that speed and that, that, that song, I can't remember them. Notice this. This is uh, from what, Galatians, where Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and you might imagine what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be a loving person, a joyful person, a kind person, a gentle person, a patient person. And I've just got to work real hard, and I'm going to become loving. And I'm gonna, I can't stand it, but I'm going to love you. No, 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 no. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's when you're chasing after the Spirit... You start to see things around your life and in the communities you're a part of. Instead of being like, I'm going to love you, it's like you're, you're going after the Spirit and you're like, why? Gosh, people really seem to love each other. What's going on? And you're chasing after the Spirit and you're like, wow, there's a lot of joy and peace here. People seem to be really in a totally different space than what I'm used to. And, and, and you start to see people being kind to each other. And you're like... That's weird. That's cool. Glad to see that. That's, that's a win for the world. And, and patience and gentleness. You start to see stuff like this. You start to see uh, eternal life and peace. It's not something you're like, I'm going to live like that. It's if you go after where God's doing stuff, where God's active, if you chase the Spirit, and you're, and you're, and then those things start to just happen 
And it's not something that you're like, oh, I need to do that. It just, it just happens. Because when you're a part of what God is doing in the world, you are going to be participating in the generation of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if you're wondering, how am I supposed to be living? Am I in an environment where these things are happening? Look around and see if you're in a place where, where people are loving, where there's joy. There's peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. See if those things are around you. And if they're not, if they're, if they're lacking, then we're definitely off the trail. We, we're not following the Spirit. We're not chasing the Spirit. I, I submit to you, one of the things I love about this church is I, I just start to see people here, like, changing, transforming. I see people who before were just not interested in and stuff genuinely interested. I see new life popping up here and there amongst our youth and amongst our, our adults. I see it all over the place. And I'm like, wow, maybe, maybe the Spirit's stirring up here. Maybe we're, we're, we've been chasing, and maybe we're, we're starting to see what it looks like when we're going after the kingdom of God and going after the Spirit. Maybe that's beginning to generate here. And maybe it's not. I thought of a, a little, like a sort of a, like an inventory that we can take. Some questions to see, are, are we living, you know, the, the old way of like, oh, yes, no, yes, no, check the box, don't check the box. Or are we living, chasing after the Spirit, and, and, and living for where God is, is active and, and stirring the kingdom up in the world? Do I think that being a good Christian means doing this and not doing that? I would submit that, uh, especially for those of us who are pretty conservative, it's hard to avoid this type of thinking. It's like, oh, you know, I know what a good Christian is. Good Christian, uh, you know, you can sort of list out, like, oh, a good family person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably, uh, you know, doesn't do some stuff that we think of as bad. Probably, you know, working real hard to do stuff in the church. Whatever. But that's sort of how we classify, and that's how we know, like, oh, is someone a good Christian? Wow, they, they fit the profile. They got the checklist. Because that's not what Paul thinks being a good Christian is. In fact, in Paul's day, good Christians did things that were obscene by the standards of the day. Good Christians hung out with people who were gross. Number two, what does it look like when the Spirit is on the move? Do you know? Have you seen, if, if, so let's just say someone's like, okay, well this is happening. X is happening. Is this a movement of God or not? Do you have any criteria by which to say, oh yeah, or oh no? We, we talked about some. Uh, we should see things like um, life and peace. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We should see some of those things. That's a start. But if you've ever been a part of a movement where, like, the Spirit's unleashed and lives are being transformed and institutions that were, are being thrown upside down and power is being distributed and, like, lives are changed, there's redemption, forgiveness, sins are being wiped away. Like, those are the types of things that happen when the Spirit's on the move. And, and if you're not familiar with that, then how are you going to chase the Spirit? Number three, can I think of any places in my life 
where the Spirit is shaking things up. True fact, the goal for Tom is to be in a total, complete state of stasis. Complete and total stability. No change, no fluctuation, no anxiety, no fear, just numbness. That's, that's and, I just, and just wait till I die. That's kind of like my, that's, you know, that's where I want to be. And, I, and, and Paul's sitting around being like, no! You should be in liminal spaces, in spaces of marginality, of spaces of, of excitement and possibility, and that comes with a little bit of fear and a little bit of being uncomfortable. Those are the places where I'm shaping you. The, if, you're, if you're not chasing if you're not running after, you're not being upset and the apple cart is just... And, and if that, if that's, not, that's not the spirituality you're called to. Number four. Is there anything adventurous or frightening or exhilarating about my spiritual life? <laughs> no, 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 no. Church is where we go to be bored. Everyone knows that. And to make sure that our kids behave. That's the point, right? Like, well, come on, well, that, like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's this, what's this about, about having a part of my life that's spiritually engaged and is exhilarating? Ah! Like I said, I want to be comfortable, and I want God to ratify my being comfortable. Except that's not life in the Spirit. Number five. Am I judgmental about other people's spirituality? Why or why not? Um, one of the things I think is, is true, I, mean, I, I wonder, I wonder if, if you're on the chase to be a part of what God is doing, might it be possible that you wouldn't have enough time to like look around and be like, that person sucks at being a Christian. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're like, you're like, uh... <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe they do, and I'm not saying they don't. And, and it, please, it is the job of, um, you know, the elders uh, to, to make sure that there's no wolves among the sheep, and, and that's an important thing. And I'm not denying that. Like, where we see things that are completely out of line with the teaching of the gospel, where we're seeing things that are um, just damaging and destroying, we, that needs to be addressed. I'm not, don't hear, like, anything else. But, but there is an element to, like, if you're going after the kingdom of God to participate, to see you know, lives change, gospel spread, like a changing of the guard upside down, if that's, you, you're probably going to be too busy to worry about whether or not the people next to you are doing it right. Maybe. Friends, I really believe that we are in a place in our church where um, I, I'm, I just I sense that the Spirit is like, let's do stuff, let's go crazy. And there's just all different things that are popping up, and there's just a sense of, of like God on the move. And I'm asking us to be prayerful about that and say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of chasing the Spirit to see God do tremendous things in our midst, outside these walls, to see God do incredible things in our families, in our lives. I want to see the Spirit move. I want to see the Spirit, like, and I just want us to chase and be like, wherever you want to go, God, we're going to be with you. And even if it's scary, we're going to follow you. And we want to have the adventure. We want, instead of, instead of just sitting there and co- being comfortable, we want to see you active, even if that shakes us up. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, um, 
I ask that we'll be people who chase your spirit, are always looking for the place where your spirit's moving, that we don't get caught up um, in, in rules and regulations, we don't get caught up in the things that we think we're supposed to do, God, but instead we get caught up in the thing that you're doing. Let us have eyes to see where your spirit is, is fresh and active. Let us have hearts to desire the places where you're turning things upside down through the power of your gospel, through redemption from sin, through forgiveness. Let us see the places where you're turning people around and let us participate. God, we ask for more of your spirit in our youth ministries, our children's ministries, our adult and senior ministries. We ask for more of your spirit to to shake things up and to enliven and to bring real, eternal life, true, peaceful shalom into our midst. God, we want to follow you. We want you to be our eyes, you to be our vision, you to be our hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.